Reader's Digest presents Hollywood 360 with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man in front of you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Guys! 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 Fellas, do you think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including showbiz news, classic radio shows, movie reviews, trivia contests, and celebrity interviews. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present a classic radio Christmas mystery on Escape. But it's time now for a quarter-hour episode of the Bill Stern Sports Newsreel, starring Bill Stern with his special guest, Henry Aldridge himself, Ezra Stone, from December 21st, 1945. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Bill Stern bringing you the 320th edition of the Colgate Shave Cream Sports Newsreel. Our guest tonight is the famous radio star, Ezra Stone, the original Henry Aldridge. But first, real one, a Christmas greeting. In four days, it'll be Christmas. That's why tonight's show is entirely made up of Christmas stories. And our first story tonight is the story of a poor, broken-down, punch-drunk fighter. And yet it's a Christmas story. A story that's become an annual institution on this program at Christmas time. Did you ever hear of a fighter named Swifty Edwards? Chances are you don't remember him. Swifty Edwards was once a good fighter. But Swifty never got very far. He was just a boy who could take it on the chin. By 1926, Swifty Edwards was all washed up. He'd been knocked from pillar to post. He was just a human punching bag. No fight promoter wanted any part of him. But if Swifty was a poor fighter, at least he was honest. He never took a crooked fight, and he always tried his best. One thing made Swifty stand out from the hundreds of other has-been fighters. Swifty had a beautiful wife. He was very proud of his wife. Their love and devotion was honest and sincere. Several days before Christmas in 1926... Swifty went from one fight promoter to another, trying to get a fight. Everybody gave him the same answer. Uh-uh. No dice, Swifty. You're all through, kid. Why don't you wise up? Swifty was desperate. He had to get a fight somehow. He had no money, and Christmas was coming. And each Christmas, Swifty had always given his wife a new dress. Well, there'd be no new dress this Christmas if Swifty didn't get a fight soon. Finally, Swifty reached the end of his rope. He went to a shady fight promoter. And Swifty asked that shady fight promoter for a fight. Sure, sure, I got a fight for you. But of course, you got to do me a little favor. You see, uh, I got a new fighter on the way up. Uh, you could beat him on the level. Except this fight ain't going to be on the level. Get it, Swifty? Why, you rat. I never saw a fight in my okay, life. Okay, okay. Don't get tough with me. There's 20 bucks in it for you. and No one will ever know. Swifty took that fight. All his life he'd fought clean, but now, now nobody give him a break. Yeah, Swifty had agreed to throw a fight. He was ashamed to tell his wife. Instead, he tried to act enthusiastic. Gee, honey, I got a fight. Boy, will I murder that guy. He's a cinch for me. Look, I got the money in advance. Thirty bucks. Here it is. Here, honey. Here's your Christmas present. Get yourself that new dress. Ah, don't worry about me. I'll win easily. Swifty was happy. At least his wife would never know how he'd gotten that money. Christmas Eve came. Swifty climbed through the ropes to fight his first crooked fight. 
In the first minute, he realized that if he wanted to, he could win. But he'd made a bargain, and so in the second round, he went down and he was counted out. Quickly, he dressed and left that fighter ring. It was Christmas Eve. His wife would be waiting for him. At least he hadn't let her down. But as he entered his shabby room, his wife met him at the door. Her face was twisted with grief. Swifty, Swifty, what happened? You told me you were going to win. You said you couldn't lose. You never told me that before. What happened tonight, Swifty? For a moment, he didn't answer, and then he spoke. Never mind, honey. It's Christmas. Come on, let's be happy. Can I see your new dress? His wife looked up as she said, I took that $30 you gave me, Swifty, but I didn't buy a new dress. I wanted to give you a Christmas present, too. You said you'd win, so I bet the $30 on you, too, win. And now we've got nothing. Yep. That's the story. Each year when it's close to Christmas like it is tonight, I always think of another Christmas. A poor punch-drunk fighter who tried so hard to say, Merry Christmas. Real three. Colgate's camera close-up of Henry Aldrich. Probably no youngster's voice is better known to America's radio audience than is his. A great star, a great director. Here he is in person, Henry Aldrich. Coming, Mother. I mean, good evening, Bill. Say, can I step out of character? Why, certainly, Henry. But if you're going to step out of character, I guess I'd better introduce you by your real name. Ladies and gentlemen, a very fine actor who impersonates Henry Aldrich on the radio, Ezra Stone. Thank you, Bill. But instead of being interviewed tonight, I'd like to tell a story. Please do. Well, my story begins back in 1912, when a certain American youngster was the best pistol shot in the United States. And because of this, he was selected to represent us in the Olympic Games that year in Europe. He was matched against the finest pistol shots from all over the world. The American boy came through the preliminaries with flying colors, until finally only he and a German marksman were left. Each took careful aim as they began their final round, and the American lad shot ten straight bullseyes, a perfect score. But when the German judges counted his score, they claimed they could only find nine bullseyes. In vain, the American lad argued. He knew the German judges were cheating in favor of one of their own countrymen but there was nothing the American could do about it. That all took place back in 1912, when an American lad came back to this country hating the Germans because they had cheated him out of an Olympic medal. But somehow, you know, I think that American got his revenge, for it was he who led the American armies into Germany in this war. Today, he died. But even though he's gone, he will never be forgotten, for his name was General George S. Patton. You're so right. General Patton was a great athlete. Much more important, a great American. Thank you so much. Good luck and good night. Ezra Stone, better known as Henry Aldrich. Profile of a great Song. Real Six. Colgate's candid camera catches the story behind the story. Exclusive New York City. Ladies and gentlemen, I received the following telegram this afternoon. It reads, Bill Stern, Radio City, New York. This is to notify you that I dare you. In fact, I double dare you to appear on my radio program the night of January the 2nd and play a saxophone solo. Signed, K. Kaiser. Okay, Mr. Kaiser, you asked for it. I'll accept your dare. I'll play the saxophone on your program on the 2nd of January. 
And I'm the world's worst saxophone player. In fact, you can call it Corn from a Horn. And that's the 3-0 mark for tonight. Next Friday night, we'll be back same time, same stations, with another edition of the Colgate Shave Cream Sports Newsreel. See you then. In the meantime, I'll be seeing you on the screen in the News of the Day Newsreel at your favorite Lowe's or Associated Theaters. Now, until next Friday night at our usual time, this is Bill Stern wishing you all a good, good night. There you have it, Bill Stern, Sports Newsreel, December 21st, 1945, with guest Ezra Stone. When we come back from the break, Lisa, one of the best escape stories of all time. You won't want to miss it, okay? If you stop talking, I'll listen. All right, stick around. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari, brought to you by Reader's Digest. Escape premiered in 1947 and was one of radio's best anthology series, promising and delivering stories of high-quality mystery, drama, and intrigue. Escape offered listeners just that, an escape from life's everyday grind, freeing you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Like its first cousin, Suspense, Escape Stories involved protagonists in life-or-death situations and featured radio's finest writers, directors, producers, and actors. It enjoyed an eight-year run bowing out in 1954. And throughout that time, Lisa, there were some really famous escape stories like Leiningen versus the Ants and also Three Skeleton Key. This one is right up there as far as I'm concerned. It's called Back for Christmas. It was uh, done a couple of times on Escape. It was done a couple of times on Suspense. And uh, you won't want to miss this. Paul Fries, one of the best vocal actors of all time, stars in this. And it's heard on CBS from Christmas Eve of 1947. Listen closely, folks, to Escape. You are trapped in the dark cellar of your home. Beside you is the murdered body of your wife. And above at the front door are your friends looking for you, tracking you down, cutting off your escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to a university town in England and a household where hate holds sway. As we listen to John Collier's famous story, Back for Christmas... Yes, my dear. What on earth are you doing down here in the cellar? Why, just a little digging. And why, may I ask, have you chosen this day of all days to dig up the cellar floor? Why, I thought as the weather has been so damp, this would be an excellent time to plant my devil's garden. Devil's garden? Whatever nonsense is that? Oh, that's my little joke about it. You see, I've managed to secure some of the spores of several unclassified wild orchids. In their natural state, they bloom under damp masses of leaf mold. The Oracanian Indians call them devil flowers because they appear to bloom under the ground. Well, I'm sure the Oracanian Indians will be very interested if you succeed in growing these ridiculous flowers under the cellar floor. Whom else it'll interest, I can't imagine. What's that terrible smell? Why, that's the leaf mold, my dear. Chemically identical with the earth blanket they grow under in the wild state. I really should line the pit with concrete so as to prevent seepage from this foreign soil. But I don't suppose there'll be time for it now. There certainly will not be time for it. Do you realize that we're sailing for America a week from today and you've made no arrangements whatever? Unless you call digging a hole in the cellar making arrangements. I certainly don't. 
devil's garden indeed. Sometimes I think you're going soft in the head, Herbert. Well, I suppose it's inconsiderate of me. But, you see, I've been wanting to try this experiment for a long time. But what with my lectures and seminars at the university, there never seemed to be time. Well, there certainly isn't any time for it now. I suppose you've forgotten I made an appointment for you at the barber's this afternoon. Oh, must I shave off my beard, Hermione? No, we've been all through that. Of course you must. They don't wear beards in America. Go and get your jacket on and do as I tell you. Yes, Hermione. And don't forget to take your umbrella. It looks like rain. Yes, Hermione. Oh, don't look so put upon, Herbert. Someone has to plan things in this house, or you'll never even get to the university in time for your lectures, much less make arrangements for a trip to America. I know, but what of my specimens? There'll be plenty of time to plant your precious devil's garden when you get home from America. We're not going to be gone forever, you know. We'll be back here for Christmas. Yes, of course. Back for Christmas. I'd forgotten. Well, try to remember it. And if you can't do that, just do as I tell you. I've been making the plans in this house for 20 years. And if there's any digging to be done, I'll manage that as well. You understand, Herbert? Yes, Hermione. Good. You have just 20 minutes to clean this mess up down here and keep your appointment at the barber's. And when you finish there, I want you to come straight home. Why, well, I, I wanted to stop at Miss Markham's and pick up some books I ordered. Well, all right. But don't loiter there the whole afternoon, browsing over those old books the way you usually do. Now hurry and clear up this rubbish. Get rid of that smelly stuff. And no more digging, mind you. Yes, Hermione. Yes, Hermione. How many years have I been saying that? Ten years? Fifteen? Twenty? Clear up the rubbish. Yes, Hermione. Don't forget your umbrella. Yes, Hermione. Do this, do that. Yes, Hermione. Yes, yes, yes. How much longer can I stand this? Good evening, sir. Good evening, Miss Markham. Why, it's Professor Carpenter, isn't it? You didn't recognize me. Oh, you look ever so much younger without the beard. Twenty years at least. Twenty years. Oh, you'll be glad to know those books you ordered have finally arrived. Hmm? Books? Phytotomy of phalloid gametophytes and coniferous shrubs of North America. Those are the ones you ordered, aren't they? Oh, yes, yes. Thank you. You're very kind, Miss Markham. Why kind, Professor Carpenter? Well, not many young ladies in bookshops would go out of their way to look up rare books for an old professor of botany. Oh, why, you're not old, Professor Carpenter. Really, you look... Oh, and besides, I adore botany. It's my particular hobby. Oh, really? Well, you never told me that before, Miss Markham. Oh, I was afraid to. You were so... Oh, so imposing with a beard and all. Well, I... You might be interested in some specimens of alpine polyanthes that were sent to me by a friend in Switzerland. Switzerland? I used to go there for my holidays before the war. You like Switzerland? Oh, I love every part of it. The lakes, the mountains, the beautiful spring flowers. Oh, especially the flowers. Oh, yes. It seems we have quite a lot in common, Miss Markham. I'm, I'm sorry we haven't talked before. Oh, I am, too. <laughs> it is all the fault of the beard, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Markham, 
Forgive me if this sounds foolish, but I feel that shaving off my beard is the most important thing I've done for 20 years. Oh, it is. I'm sure it is. I'm ashamed that I've been so distant with you all the time. Oh, there were times when I almost spoke up. Times when you came in here, tired after a day with your students at the university. Oh, you seem so alone. The way I'm alone in the world. I'd like to have asked you to stay a while and talk with me. But some way or other, I, I wound up giving you your change and letting you go on your way. You, you say you're all alone in the world? Since my father died. Well, did you never think of marrying? My father was a very remarkable man. I never found anyone who, who seemed to measure up to what he led me to expect of men. And then the war came. Miss and, Markham, oh, I... It, it's been so long since anyone called me by my first name. I'd like you to, if you don't mind. It's Marion. Marion. And yours? Uh, Herbert. <laughs> How long have you been alone, Herbert? Uh, alone? Oh, I knew you were a widower, of course, the first time I saw you. A widower? Oh, I can always tell. There's a certain sadness in a man's eyes. A sweet sadness, I think. When he's been married and then... A widower. I never thought of it in quite that way. Oh, perhaps I shouldn't be talking like this. But I've often wondered what she must have been like. Your wife, I mean. Hermione? Hmm. Not an easy woman to forget. Very strong. Always managing things. The house, my wardrobe, my friends. When we dined at a restaurant, she even ordered my food. She was always managing things. You might say she managed herself to death. Oh, poor woman. She must have loved you very much. But she needn't have put herself out so. It's plain to see you don't need things managed for you. You need companionship, I think. Someone sympathetic with your work. <sighs> but the last thing on earth you need is a manager. How well you put it. The last thing on earth. That's the first time I thought of it, of course But suddenly a whole new world opened up before my eyes Marion and America and no more of Hermione's planning my life for me By the time I got home, my mind was working overtime Well, at last, you certainly took long enough about it What are you looking so pleased about? I don't really know Getting rid of the beard, perhaps I feel twenty years younger you look even smaller. Your face looks triangular or something. I'd forgotten your chin was so weak. Oh, but never mind that. You can grow it back soon enough, after Christmas. Where are you going? Down to the cellar. I just bought this electric lantern, and I thought I'd put it away down there. Now, whatever possessed you to buy a thing like that? I don't know. I rather like this lantern. Might come in handy. Who knows? Now, Herbert, don't start digging down there again. I have a hundred things to do putting the house in order before we leave. I want you to carry these boxes upstairs for me. Yes, Hermione. And if you're going down to the cellar, take this along and stuff it into the furnace. But this is my old bathrobe. I may need it. Oh, nonsense. I've bought you a new one. Get rid of it. And don't start puttering down there with that devil's garden or whatever you call it. I'm through digging, my dear. I think the pit is quite deep enough now. For my devil's garden. 
Is that how you talk to Dan at home? Yeah, well, depends which woman are you speaking of. I'm talking about Hermione. Oh, no, I'm the nice, yes, sweet, Hermione. flirtatious, beautiful one. Yes, you're Marion? Yeah, I'm Marion. Yes, Hermione. The librarian. Yes, Hermione. Boy, is she a rag. Yeah, she's She's the... just like a naggy, raggy... Well, no wonder he wants to be a widower. Yeah, this is a good story, right? I, I'm into it. I'm yeah. waiting for the next part. He's uh, he's uh, digging in the cellar. What's with all these commercials? <laughs> I bet you he digs something uh, about the size of Hermione. All right. Well, don't give it you away. Know? No, no, no. I'm not giving it away. I mean, they're setting it up nicely. You know, it's just it worked out perfect for him because uh, here he meets the love of his life right when uh, he's pretty much uh, had it with Hermione, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see what happens here. Yeah. Because he's digging, digging away. Um, but I could see you talking to Dan like that. Oh, yeah. Dan, take this downstairs. Dan, do this. Dan, do that. Yeah, well, Dan, 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 do this. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan. Dan, come home from work. He's, Poor Dan. He, you know, he's a lawyer. Look and what he's, he's got to put up he's with. He's an attorney. He's dealing with all kinds of stressed out. He's at work, you know, 25 hours out of right. uh, 24. And then he comes home and I say, and you Dan, start, Dan, Dan, do Dan, this. Dan, Dan, did you make food? Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan. As my mom says, poor Dan. Yeah. <laughs> I could just see you, you know, telling him. Uh, oh, yeah. Did you uh, Did you scrub the floors, Dan? Yes, yes. That's the first thing he does when he gets home I from work. I could just see you, Lisa. Yep. Mm-hmm. You yeah. and, uh, I'm one tough cookie, I you tell you. You are like that Hermione woman Oh, yes, there. just yeah. call me Hermione. Yeah, all right. We'll get back to Escape. That's uh, Back for Christmas, starring Paul Freese. What a voice on him. Oh, yeah. He was Boris Badenoff. On the Rocky and Bullwinkle yeah, cartoons and I, lots of other cartoon voices. I remember that. Bought us, off. Paul Freeze. Yeah, terrific. Uh, um, uh, Stan Freeberg used to work a lot with Paul Freeze on some of his comedy albums and things. All right, here is another song by the great Jim Morrison of The Doors. There's a killer on the road. His brain is squirming like a toad. All right, so if you know what song that is, call us toll-free, 855-360-H360. There's a killer on the road. His brain is squirming like a toad. Take a long holiday. Win some fabulous prizes. Call right now, toll-free, 855-360-H360. We'll be right back. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. All right, this is Hollywood 360. I'm Carl Amari. This is the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. Lisa Wolf is my co-host over here. And without you, Lisa, there would be no show. I know. I, I feel that way, too. You know? So we agree on that. And I think that's uh, how most uh, people uh, out there would... Uh, would would believe and agree also. I, I'm okay You're, with that. You are Hollywood 360. We, I, I this, feel it in my bones. This show Carl. is it's all about Lisa. No, it's not. But yeah, I'm, you it know, is. No, I, you're awesome. <laughs> we love you, Lisa. I, I hope I add something I mean, to look, the show. First, it's the, Lisa. Then the the classic radio show. This is the order of priority. Well, Lisa Wolf. Then the classic, classic radio, radio shows. And then Lisa Wolf. Then um, let me think. Well, can I just interject and and be clear that when we first started the show, I was with you as maybe what we call an intern. 
Yes. And I worked my way up in the world to become your co-host. So it wasn't without a lot of hard work and dedication, you. without a doubt. That's right. And I, you know what? You you have made... Lisa didn't have any radio training, right? You had no... You, well, didn't, you didn't do any I, radio and communications in school or anything, did you? I didn't do radio, but I'm, I, I've am i taken a whole lot of I, acting I classes and I have a lot I'm of just acting saying, experience. You, you, you really didn't have any radio experience? Well, since then, I've taken some voiceover classes and gotten a little training under my belt. But when and I first started, I was a, a newbie. I think you have become... Just uh, <laughs> tremendous on the radio. You are like a disc jockey. You're a DJ. Right. Well, thank you. DJ. We're, a, we're a good team. Lisa Carl. DJ Wolf. We're, we make a good team. I think that's your middle name now. Instead of Broadway Lisa, Lisa. Yes. Uh, uh, well, no, actually, it's Broadway Lisa Wolf. So whatever. What's you, your middle name? You know what? In real life, yeah. you mean? Yeah. I don't know. Come on. Yeah. Just tell us. It, I don't it's like It's not such a big deal. <laughs> Come your, on. Can I say yours? Because I know it. Mm, what is it? You, should I say it out loud? Yeah. Peter. Yeah. Okay. okay. So what's yours? Lynn. Oh, nice. That's a nice name. It's okay. So let's change it to DJ. I, I'd actually I'm just going to start that. calling you DJ. I'm okay with that. All right. So here is a uh, song by the great Jim Morrison. There's a killer on the A long holiday. Oh, I almost said the title. You're going to take a, a long holiday pretty soon here. You're going to Florida. I'm going to take a short holiday. Florida. I'm going to miss one little one little show, and then I'll be she back. Just, she abandons us. She one, just leaves once a year. Us. One show a year. That's it. Well, you're going there, and then in January, I'm going to Utah. Utah yeah, but you week. won't be missing the no, show. No, I won't miss you? the show. I'm going to go okay. during the week. Okay. But here out in California is Kathy. Hi, Kathy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Kathy, is it? where do you live? Uh, what uh, town? I live in Redding, California. Oh, Redding. Yeah, that's awesome there. Beautiful. And Land weather. Guns. Yeah, weather nice uh, today? Uh, yeah, today was nice. It's been raining, so yeah. it's been great, but today was actually nice. Nice, very good. Well, I'm glad you're listening to the show, and you knew this uh, this Jim Morrison song? Absolutely. It's Riders of the Storm. Yeah, you win. You're a winner. Awesome job. And, uh, you my... know what? You two are two peas in a pod. Yeah? It's true. Yeah. <laughs> the show is not complete without either one of you. Oh, you're so sweet. It's I'm true. telling you, that last show, the show uh, with the bank robber. Yeah. Oh yeah, Tales of the Texas Range. Uh, see, yeah, I'll tell you what, that was a really, really sentimental, really uh, great show, right? It's awesome for yeah. Christmas. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Well, this is a creepy one that we're listening to now. It's pretty, pretty cool. It has a really interesting twist ending. So make sure you yeah. keep listening. Kathy, you're a winner. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate you. You bet. Thank All right. you. Thanks Bye, a Kathy. lot. Right. Appreciate it, Kathy. Uh, Kathy right. knew it, Lisa. She, she knew sure it was did. Riders on the Storm. Uh-oh, here we go. Right? I'm going to sing it. I'm gonna think I'll just sing it right now. Okay, Ready? go ahead. Take a long holiday. Maybe I can get a record concert. Yeah, you keep going. Let's hear what it. What am I calling a concert for? A record contract. Get, keep singing. I mean, I'm a frustrated singer. You're just frustrated. I'm just frustrated. <laughs> just frustrated. <laughs> I'm very frustrated. Man. 
very frustrated, uh, not very tall man. I didn't say that part. Height I just challenged. Said, I'm height challenged, you know, Lisa. You say it to yourself. That's fine. I'm not going to make fun of you. I, I, I don't. I don't play your game. But I'm the tallest one in my family. So. Well, that means a lot. Yeah, I guess we're just all really short. Is you're taller than Carlene? Yeah, Carlene's about five four, five okay. five. What are you like, five five? I'm five twelve. Okay. That's right good. around there, 5'12", 5, 5'13", yeah. right. something like that. Good, that's, that's Could reasonable. Could be 5, 5'14". Yeah. Um, all right, want to get back to this? Please. All right, let's get back to Back for Christmas on Escape. It would all have to be carefully planned, of course. Just as carefully planned as Hermione was planning the trip to America. We both went about our respective engagements as the days passed. I spent all the time I could with Marion, and finally she consented. And then it was the last day, the big day, the day we were to sail for America. Operator, operator, are you there? I'm still waiting on that call to Salisbury. Oh, well, put them on quickly. Hello, is this Paul Holt and Sons? Mrs. Herbert Carpenter here. Did you receive my letter? Oh, good. Now, remember, we'll be back for Christmas, and I want the job done without fail. What's that? Oh, no, I'm sure he doesn't suspect anything. Send the bill to me in New York as I instructed you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, there you are, Herbert. Where have you been? Back stairs. I dismissed the servants. Dismissed the servants? But I've asked some friends in to a farewell tea. Go and tell them it's a mistake. I'm afraid it's too late now. They've packed and gone. Oh, you have messed up things properly. How many times have I told you to leave things to me? I make the plans around here. Yes, Hermione. You'll have to do better than this when I plan the trip home. Or we'll never in the world be back for Christmas. Back for Christmas, back for Christmas. Must you keep saying that? Well, why not? We are coming back for Christmas, aren't we? Supposing I were offered a professorship in one of those wealthy American universities. <laughs> Nonsense. Americans care nothing for botany. Luther Burbank was an American. Well, that's different. What have you ever done except muck around in the dirt with a lot of roots and tubers? They've asked me to lecture. That means something. Of course they asked you to lecture. Americans are paid to hear any foreigner deliver a lecture once. Now, there's no use getting yourself in a state about this, Herbert. No doubt this extra money will come in very handy when we arrive back, back for, for Christmas. Christmas. Precisely. And it's no good you're making a joke of it. Heaven knows where you'd be today if I hadn't got a sense of time. Yes, my dear Hermione. And since you've been so foolish as to dismiss the servants, you may empty the ashtrays and straighten up this room while we're waiting for the guests to arrive. I'm going upstairs to change. Call me when they get here. Yes, Hermione. Yes, Hermione, yes, Hermione. For 20 years, Hermione, always so right, thought of everything. Well, not quite everything. She's dressing now. Safe to call Marion. Oh, if Marion were to change her mind now, if she had any idea, I was not a widower. Hello. Hello, Marion. Herbert. No. No, my darling. Nothing's wrong. My plans are the same. Unless you've changed. Good. We'll meet in New York as we planned. Yes, yes, I do love you, my darling. Herbert! I'm sorry, I can't talk any longer. Yes, I, I'll i meet you in New York a week from tomorrow without fail. It, goodbye till then. Herbert, will you 
talking on the phone just now? Yes, Hermione. Whoever was it? Oh, Freddy. Freddy Sinclair, of course. Oh. Didn't I hear you say something about meeting somebody in New York? Why, yes. Old Freddy said he might possibly get out to America before we leave, and I said, of course, we'd meet him there if he decides to go. That seems very peculiar. But then all of your friends are peculiar. Yes, Hermione. And just look at your jacket. Have you been digging in that cellar again? Yes, Hermione. Well, there's no need for it. You can't possibly get that devil's garden thing finished. Go and change your clothes before the guests arrive. Yes, Hermione. Oh, never mind. I see somebody coming up the walk now. Go and let them in. Yes, Hermione. Herbert. Hmm? Yes, my dear. Look out the window. There's Professor and Mrs. Hewitt. But who's that with them? Why, I... I... Precisely. Freddie Sinclair. Peculiar. You should have been talking to him on the phone not three minutes ago. And now here he is. Yes. Yes, isn't it? Uh, but then, as you say, Hermione, all of my friends are peculiar. Not half so peculiar as you. Digging in the cellar an hour before we leave for America. Just look at yourself. And now that I think of it... Yes, Hermione? Oh, never mind. Go and let them in. You were going to ask me something, Hermione. But the hole I'm digging in the cellar. Oh, good heavens. Stop rolling your eyes about that way. One would think you were digging a grave down there instead of a storage bin. Yes, Hermione. What's that? I said yes, Hermione. Oh, bother. Open the door and stop saying yes, Hermione. I think, my dear, I've said it for the last time. Back for Christmas. Hermione was so positive we would be back for Christmas. That last afternoon, pouring tea for a few friends who had come in to say last-minute farewells, she kept reiterating... Oh, I promise you, Mrs. Hewitt. Remember, we absolutely must have you with us for Christmas. Oh, we'll be back. It's not absolutely certain, of course. Herbert, what do you mean, it's not certain? Of course it's certain. <laughs> After all, Herbert, old boy, you've contracted to lecture for only three months. Quite right, but then, of course, anything may happen. Oh. Herbert adores being unpredictable. Now, what other man would dig a great hole in the cellar on the very day he was leaving for America? A hole in the cellar? <laughs> yes. He's going to put some unclassified wild orchids down there. A devil's garden, if you please. <laughs> Sounds mysterious. That's Herbert. Though he's really quite simple once you find out what he's up to. Now, take that telephone call he put through to you a few moments before you arrived, Freddy. Uh, to, to me? Yes. Herbert wanted to surprise me about your plan to meet us in New York next month. <laughs> That's why he called, of course, to ask you not to mention it. But, my dear Hermione, Herbert couldn't possibly have telephoned me within the past hour. I've been walking in the park since three. He didn't telephone you? Well, how could he? And as for my going to America... Oh, no. Come, come, Freddy. You may as well own up. Hermione has found me out again. But Herbert, old chap, I, I really don't there. understand. There. You see what a poor liar Herbert makes. He's red as a beetroot. Aren't you ashamed of yourself, Professor? Stringing poor Hermione along like that. And as for you, Freddy, I'm furious you said nothing to us about going to America. But look here, old girl. I've been trying to tell everyone that I have oh, no... Oh, stuff and nonsense. The game's gone on long enough. Perhaps Herbert's merely planning a surprise for me. Yes, let's leave it at that, my dear. Well, we must start getting ready. It was marvelous of you to come in to say goodbye. And don't worry about Herbert's little jokes. <laughs> I will bring him back for Christmas. You may rely on it. They all believed her. For years, she'd been promising me for dinner parties, garden parties, committees. 
and the promises had always been kept. This time they wouldn't be. I'd seen to that. The servants were gone for good. The farewells all said. I had timed to the minute how long it would take to fill in the hole in the cellar, in my devil's garden. Upstairs in the bedroom, I undressed, folded my clothes over a chair, and put on my old bathrobe. Then I opened the door into Hermione's room. Are you ready, Herbert? Hmm. Hermione, have you a moment to spare? Of course, my dear. I've just finished. Then do come in here for a moment. Uh, there's something rather extraordinary here. Good heavens, Herbert. What are you lounging about in that filthy old bathrobe for? I told you to put it into the furnace. I shall do it today, yes. I really will. I, I promise. Well, high time. Now, what is it you want to show me? In the bathroom here. Just look. Who in the world do you suppose dropped a gold chain down the bathtub drain? Nobody has, of course. Nobody wears such a thing in this house. Then what's it doing there? I don't see anything. Well, here. I'll hold this flashlight for you. If you lean right over, you can see it shining deep down. Oh, such a lot of nonsense. Just with a... I don't see it, Herbert. Go on looking, Hermione. In just a moment... Herbert, I absolutely refuse to wait... <laughs> Herbert, what are you doing? Take your hands off my neck. I will, Hermione, just as soon as I finish the arrangements for my trip to America. What are you talking about? You thought you were the only one who could plan things, didn't you, Hermione? Well, I've been making some plans of my own this past week. In exactly two minutes, you'll be dead, Hermione. Oh. You see, two minutes. I've planned it very accurately. You'll never get away with it. Let me go. I thought you'd say that, but I will get away with it. You won't mind the smell of the leaf mold down in the cellar when I take you there today. Yes. That's where you're going, Hermione. Into my devil's garden that annoyed you so much. Oh. The soil is full of clay. It won't settle too much. In a month or so, it won't even look as if it had been dug up. My friends, they all expect me back for Christmas. <laughs> they don't hear from me. They'll wonder. If I don't come back, they'll start asking questions. Oh, no, they won't. Because you'll write them letters, Hermione. On the typewriter, as you always do. There'll be signed H in that neat, cryptic way you always sign your notes to your friends. Let me no. It won't work, Herbert. You never were any good at planning things. Oh, but I've changed, my dear. I've learned from watching you all these years. The lecture people in America, they'll expect you to be traveling with your wife. I will be traveling with my wife. But her name will not be Hermione. Oh. Fortunately, they've never met you. I'll write a few letters home for you. Then fewer and fewer... Write letters signed with my own name. Always expecting to get back, but never quite able to. Keep the house one year and then another and another. They'll get used to it. I might even come back alone in a year or two and clear it up properly. Say you died in America. <laughs> Nobody will ever suspect you're lying under the floor of the cellar in this very house. Oh, but it won't work, I tell you. That pit you dug in the cellar, I'm... I can assure you, my dear Hermione, it will serve its purpose well. <laughs> Sorry, my dear. I've got to get this done on schedule. You have just five seconds to say your prayers. Herbert, you must listen. The cellar. Yeah. Don't do it, Herbert. Herbert. Yeah. <laughs> The water cut off at the main as I knew she would order it. She was so thorough, but so was I. Strangulation. Nothing to wash up. The electric current shut off exactly at one o'clock, just as she ordered it. She thought of everything. So did I. My nice new electric lantern. Plenty of light to work by in the cellar. The old bathrobe she wanted me to throw away came in handy now if there should be any chance bloodstain. 
then into the fire with it afterwards, the last evidence of my devil's garden. It was going well. Still an hour till I had to leave for the boat. The hold was almost filled. No. Oh, no, not now. Go away, please, whoever you are, go away. Did I lock the front door? If it's the Wallingfords... Oh, no, no. Go away. Go away. I say, Herbert, old thing. Uh, just keep calm, quiet. They won't look down in the cellar. Keep calm. They'll go away. Oh, all right. Only I want a last drink with old Herbert. He'd be hurt, you know. All right, let's hurry. Let him be back by half past six. Half past six. Oh, there's still time. After that, it was easy. Put the finishing touches on the devil's garden. Dress fast. Get out of the house before 6.30. Take the boat trade to Southampton and board the ship for America. All according to plan. Hermione's plan. Oh, uh, I say, Stuart. Uh, Mike, sir? Uh, my wife is indisposed. She'll be taking her meals in our stateroom. Oh, for, for, for the old voyage? Yes, for the whole voyage. Well, I trust your wife is feeling better this morning, Professor Carpenter. Uh, yes, a little. Not yet well enough to leave her cabin. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, by the way, uh, here's a copy of the radiogram you sent for your wife last evening. Oh? Oh, thank you. I'll just check it over. Hmm. I say, look here. What is it? Did the typist make a mistake? Uh, no. No, nothing important. She can correct it later. For a moment, I had the feeling that Hermione had been leaning over my shoulder again, correcting what I had written, as she always did. I had written a radiogram to Professor Hewitt and his wife. Haven't been out of my cabin the whole beastly trip. Herbert, well, we now doubt we will be back for Christmas. The copy read, we no doubt will be back for Christmas. Exactly what Hermione would have written. The rest of the voyage was uneventful. And Marion and I met in New York and were married just as we'd planned. Just as we'd planned. Professor and Mrs. Carpenter, we, we have reservations, I believe. Oh, yes, we've been expecting you, sir. Boy, take Professor and Mrs. Carpenter's luggage up to their suite. You know, Mrs. Carpenter, you're quite a surprise. Your letter reserving the rooms was so uh, thorough. I was expecting an older, more forbidding sort of person, frankly, ma'am. Oh, no. As a matter of fact, we're just married. But my letter reserving the room... Uh, I wrote the letter, my dear, and signed it Mrs. Herbert Carpenter. Purely a joke. Oh, what a cunning old fox you are, Herbert. Now that I think of it, I am, rather. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, there's a letter for you, Mrs. Carpenter. A letter for me? I wonder who knows... Well, we shall find out in good time. Come along, my dear. We're keeping the boy waiting. Nothing like a cold, brisk shower to put a man to rights. Herbert, this letter... Uh, oh, yes, the letter. Uh, dry my hair, will you, dear? It seems to be a bill of some sort. From a building contract in Salisbury. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> oh, bother. Dry your own hair. Oh, thank you, my sweet. Uh, let's see this bill or whatever it is. It's very puzzling. Herbert. Hmm? You were a widower, weren't you? I mean, Hermione isn't still alive. I can assure you she is not. Uh, let's have that letter. Hmm. Dear madam, this is to acknowledge your order together with the key... Together with the keys to your house in Launston Place. Our men had no difficulty in finding the place where your husband had begun the excavation in the cellar, but apparently changed his mind at the last moment and filled it in again. Oh, no. What is it, Herbert? Our men will begin digging tomorrow, and you may rest assured that it will be a professional job and will be completed in ample time for your surprise Christmas present to your husband. We are happy to be conspirators with you in this thoughtful gesture and hope that Professor Carpenter will be pleased at the results of our work on what he so quaintly calls his devil's garden. Very truly yours, Paul Holton's son's contractors. What does it mean, Herbert? It means that Hermione was right. I will be back for Christmas. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson and tonight brought you Back for Christmas by John Collier. Adapted for radio by Robert Tallman, with Paul Fries as Herbert, Eleanor Audley as Hermione, and Marta Mitrovich as Marion. Music is conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhrer. Next week, we escape with Algernon Blackwood's ghostly story, Confession. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's back for Christmas, Lisa. You know, if Dan's digging down in the cellar... It's gonna make you a devil's garden down there. I'll I'll know what you to expect. You exactly this time. will know what's going I on. I will run. Yeah, so just make sure you know. Set up some cameras down there or something. <laughs> exactly. You know, if all of a sudden you don't show up for the show, you'll know. I'll know. I'll go. I'll go to, uh, go to your your mansion and check out the cellar. And I'll knock on the, the uh, wine with a big <laughs> knocker door. Bong bong bong. I always wanted on one that, of those, like you know? at the monsters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I want that. Yeah, very good. Like the monsters. Like the yeah. Monsters. I remember. Just that. 13, 13, Mockingbird, Mockingbird Lane. Lane. Yep. All right. That's Escape. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. Next week, more Christmas shows. Father Knows Best, Nick Carter, Master Detective, Radio City Playhouse and Suspense. For my co-host, Lisa Wolf, Mike Costella. Sarah Adamson, Vincent Chris Lombardi, my crabby brother Vince Murray, Adam West, and me, Carl Amari. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week.